Professor Gert Hofstede, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. You're talking about cultural resources and obstacles. Uh, I know that you pick out at the beginning a hot issue. Can you tell us which hot issue you're focusing on and why? Well, my hot issue is the 2008 financial crisis because I believe there were very strong cultural reasons why that crisis started in the United States. And it also touched, of course, because we have a globalized economy now, it also touched other countries. But there were specific cultural features in the U.S. business culture that led to this uh, crisis starting there. And, and what were those features? Can we uh, use phrases like blame or, or you know, what uh, gave rise to this crisis? Well, I think uh, a very short-term orientation. So thinking only of today and not on what happened tomorrow. Um, a very weak um, uh, concept of society. Uh, very much uh, looking for individual interests, looking for things like individual, pr individual wealth, greed really, and no responsibility for uh, the weaker members of society. And uh, how do you go back and sort of track how that crisis came about? How do you come to those conclusions? Uh, this is more or less an accidental piece of research, not related to my major book, but in the 1990s I was, in, uh, I was a visiting professor at Hong Kong and uh, I discussed with my Chinese students there what were the goals of the successful Hong Kong business people, businessmen really. And, uh, and we got an interesting list there, an interesting ranking, and I talked about that to my colleagues at an international conference, and a number of my colleagues, altogether in 17 countries, decided to do the same thing. And uh, our students were MBA students. And um, so people who worked during the day, part-time MBA students, they worked during the day, they knew these businesses very well. And at the end of the day, we realized that we got probably the best and most honest evaluation of the goals of business leaders we could ever get. Because who is a better judge than the direct, uh, the people who work for these uh, managers and watch them every day? Can we then attribute blame? Can we say cause and effect? This is why the crisis came about. Um, well, uh, I think we can. Uh, I think we could already have predicted it 10 years ago. Nobody did. Not, I didn't do either. Um, we had more or less accepted these things to be normal, and now we are called back to reality and say, well, these things are not, aren't normal at all. And, and do you want to elaborate on that and, and tell us you know, what gave rise to that abnormality, cause and effect? Um, well, the whole uh, process... Of, of using the savings money of clients of banks to, uh, to gamble with, of selling mortgages to people who very evidently couldn't afford them, and also with interest rates that would um, go sky high so that it was absolutely predictable these people would have to be expelled from their, their homes. And uh, anybody with a little bit of... of uh, of 
intelligence could have seen that, but these uh, business leaders were so much blinded by their own uh, egos and by their their greed and by their uh, their belief in well in, in the miracles of the of the free market that they uh, they pushed it through and nobody stopped them. And were there cultural differences within that? Did people react differently across continents? Well, the point is that this was very specific for the American business leaders, and we get data from similar um, from MBA students from other nationalities in other countries. So we get data from Germans and from Chinese and from British and from, from French and from Brazilians, and uh, we get very different profiles. So it is very much a product of the American profile. And, and how come business people from different countries have different goals and pursue different goals? Yeah. Well, there is where I come in my favorite topic of culture. Of course, you can also attribute it to history, but history and culture are, are linked. And so that gives me an opportunity to dive into culture and to dive into this question, which has for centuries has already been uh, studied by scholars, why do people from different countries think differently? You get to the famous uh, uh, statement by uh, um, Les Pascal in France, there are truths on one side of the Pyrenees that are falsehoods on the other. And that basically is what is throughout this whole study of the comparative study of national cultures, is recognizing that there is no single truth or falsehood and that there is a series of truth and falsehood in range that's coming in ranges. So I suppose we ought to take a rain check at this point and ask what you mean by culture. Yes. Uh, okay, my, my definition by culture is that culture is the collective programming of the uh, human mind that distinguishes the members of one group or category of people from another. And in this case, uh, today, the group I'm talking about or the category is the nation. You could apply it to other things. I have done so. But today I'm talking about the influence of nationality on the way people think, feel and act. And has that changed? I mean, what are your reference points? It, it must continually go through a process of change, particularly when we're living in something that people now refer to as the global world. It does change, but the differences between countries are remarkable stable, remarkably stable. So, um, so we all change together, you can say, but um, the, the uh, there is a, there are certain differences, predictable differences in the way, for example, German Germany as a country will react to specific problems, and Britain will react, and that is today not so different from the way it was, say, 100 years ago. And not even if you go back longer in history, you'll find statements by uh, historians or by, by travelers that say, yes, these differences were there all the time. Now, now you became, uh, if you like, a guru in cultural research uh, back in the 60s, when, I think in 67, you con conducted uh, your research on cultural difference ac across many uh, countries. I mean, how has that changed since? Uh, there is much more now. There's much more now. Uh, uh, there were at the time already people working on it. I had the very good luck that I worked for the IBM Corporation at the time, and IBM collected lots of data. I wasn't the only person involved. There were many people involved. But after I had left IBM, I got permission to work 
with that data, which at that time was the largest cross-national database on values in the world. In the meantime, there's much more. There's much more, and nowadays I also make, and, and people who work with me, work with newer databases. And we meet the same kind of problems, but we also meet new things, and this is what I'm going to talk about. There will be a new edition of the book for students that I've first published in 1991. And that's called Culture and Organization. Cultures and Organizations, colon, Software of the Mind. And there will be a new third edition coming out, well, next month also. And, um, uh, and there uh, we use also those newer data. And uh, we, we, have, we are discovering things we didn't know yet because we have better data, newer data. And also, they support the older data we have. Now, I know you don't want to go back over the parameters of the power, uh, the past, where you talked about power, distance, uh, masculinity, uncertain avoidance. But, but what we're focusing on today is long and short-term orientation. Yes. Why is that? Um, because um, this was, at one time, in the late 1980s, was a new dimension, coming out of uh, joint research I did with a uh, colleague from Hong Kong. And it came out of a questionnaire made by Chinese scholars in Chinese. So for a time we thought this was something which you could only see when you look through Chinese eyes. Although we got data from all over the world, but it was the, there were differences there. And the differences were on this long-term dimension, where the Chinese were particularly long-term oriented and a lot of the Western societies were short-term oriented. Now we have discovered that it wasn't China, only Chinese because in the World Value Survey, which is now collected through uh, representative samples of entire populations, we get questions that are very similar, give very similar results. So we can extend this range of measurements to many more countries. Um, and it did give you a power of prediction, didn't it? Because you foresaw the rise of China back in 1988. Example, back, yes, yes. And uh, if we would apply that now again, I won't do this necessarily, but you might venture into some predictions of, of new things that will happen, yes. Would yeah. you like to end the interview by venturing into some of those well, predictions? One of, the, uh, one of the predictions is that Eastern European countries are pretty well positioned to become economically successful. And is that because of their long-term orientation? It's because of their long-term orientation and the values that people hold, yes. And the fact that they now have got access to world markets, which they never had. And does that bring us back to the beginning uh, of your lecture, which, which is the, the hot issue, the financial crisis, because people focused on now, they focused on financial greed in the short yes, term. Yes. Yes, I think that one of the consequences of the financial crisis is that the influence of the United States on the world economy will go down. And uh, it will have to be shared with the influence of other countries. Everybody talks about China, but there will not only be China. There will also be uh, Brazil, there will also be India, there will be the European Union, and there will probably be also the East European countries, even maybe the former Soviet empire. So the cultures that actually look to the long term and function collectively towards the long term will be the successful will, ones. Will actually have at least have more influence, have more influence and become 
more important players, yes. And just finally, is there going to be a fourth edition of your book? Um, I don't know. I may not. You see, I brought in two co-authors, and uh, which is also, and one of them happens to be our uh, eldest son. So there will be a Hofstede involved. But I wonder, uh, you see, I was born in 1928, and uh, I can't change that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, Professor Gert Hofstede, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. I've enjoyed your lecture, Cultural Resources and Obstacles, very much. Thank you.